I'd invite you to join with me this morning in turning to Matthew chapter 1 and 2, it's on page 1497 in your pew Bibles, if you're using those, page 1497, Matthew 1, we're going to read verses 18 through 25, and then Matthew 2, we're going to read verses 13 through 23. We've been following Matthew's Christmas story, how Matthew wanted to, to tell his story, and as, as we have, we've seen Matthew introduce us to Jesus through the genealogy, his family tree, and then we've also uh, seen not only that he's trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, but then we're introduced to a couple of other names in the second half of this chapter where he is called Jesus, meaning God saves, and Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And we're going to continue on in the story the next uh, couple of weeks uh, through Christmas Day. But what I want to do is just pause for a moment because as I mentioned before that uh, last week, last year we looked at Luke and his Christmas story and that focused largely on Mary. Matthew's focuses more on Joseph. And so I want to ask the question, what can we learn from Joseph? What can we learn from Joseph this Christmas season? So Matthew 1, verse, beginning at verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Then, of course, the Magi come. They visit King Herod in Jerusalem, find out from a prophecy that the baby is to be born in Bethlehem, go there and worship him. And then they're in a dream told not to go back to Herod, but to return home by another way. And then we pick up the story in verse 13 of chapter 2. Verse 13 of chapter 2. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Conclude our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you that we can come to the Christmas story again and, and we can learn new things and old things from it. <clears throat> Help us to learn uh, from Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. And help us to to know how we might apply this to our lives in this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at the forgotten man of Christmas. He's been called by some Joseph the Just, and he was. But you could just as well call him Joseph the Silent. He doesn't speak a word anywhere in the Bible. He's a seemingly minor character in the Christmas story. But as Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote, what you do speak so loudly I cannot hear what you say. Joseph's actions spoke so loudly that he didn't have to. And he responds to God in obedience. Obedience. Now, Luke's Christmas story focuses more on Mary, but Matthew tells a story following the actions of Joseph and particularly some dreams from God to which Joseph responds with obedience. God comes to Joseph in a dream four times, no less than four times in this passage, a couple of which are through an angel. Now, think about that. God had not been heard from for some 400 years. No words from prophets, much less angel appearances. But in contrast to to Luke, in his story, the angel appearances are said to be in dreams. Now in the Jewish world of the Old Testament, but also the Greco-Roman world of the first century, a dream was considered a way for God to communicate. And given Matthew's penchant for alluding to Old Testament characters and stories, You almost kind of wonder if there might be a connection here with the original Joseph the dreamer in Genesis. There's there's some parallels there. We see the original Joseph and his obedience to God in awkward circumstances, such as with Potiphar's wife. He was brought by God into Egypt. And then back out, although coming back out was just the carrying of his bones by his family. He was clearly used by God. And he, and he affirms that it was God who providentially guided his life and guided that of the family and, and actually protected the people of Israel in Egypt. And it may be this providential activity that Matthew has in mind when he makes a connection between the two Joseph the dreamers. Perhaps to say, God still works in that way. God still works providentially. How is he going to do that for Joseph? Well, you have to sympathize with Joseph. He's building up his construction trade, anticipating marriage, minding his own business, when suddenly God steps in with a virgin birth, an angel's visit, an angry king wanting to kill the baby, and a call for Joseph to drop everything and flee to Egypt. Joseph, whose biggest decision up to now is which masonry tool to to use on that particular stone, is now confronted with overwhelming decisions. 
And he responds to each of them with obedience. Do we? Do we respond to, to God with obedience when he calls us to act? I want to look at six things we can learn from Joseph. First of all, we can learn from Joseph that truly obedient people can obey God with immediacy. Immediacy. Matthew's story is very simple. Joseph's betrothed to Mary, who's found to be pregnant. He's going to divorce her quietly, but in a dream, God tells him to marry Mary, and he wakes up and marries Mary. A simple obedience characterized Joseph. That must have been refreshing to the angel Gabriel. If it's the angel Gabriel, by the way, Matthew never names him. Luke does. But remember in Luke, Gabriel came to Zechariah and he said, no, we're too old. He came to Mary and while Mary was very accepting, she did want some details about how this was going to happen. But Joseph simply and immediately obeyed God. In doing so, he outshone many well-known biblical characters. Think about it. When, when God came to Moses, he made all kinds of excuses. When he came to Isaiah, Isaiah said, I'm too sinful. He came to Jeremiah, he said, I'm too young. He came to, to, to Amos and to Gideon and others, and they said, I'm not qualified. But Joseph simply woke up and obeyed. From Joseph, we can learn that sometimes God doesn't want our giftedness. There were others more gifted than Joseph. He doesn't want necessarily our wealth. Most were wealthier than him. He certainly doesn't want our excuses. He's pleased with simple, immediate obedience. Is there an area that God has called us to act, prompted us to act, the Spirit's working on us, and we're hesitating? Pledge to obey God with simple obedience, with immediacy. Second thing we can learn from Joseph is that truly obedient people can obey God in painful circumstances. Betrothal was somewhere between modern engagement and marriage. There were two steps to marriage. Betrothal was legal consent to marry, by, at which time they were actually legally married, but they remained at the, with their parents for, for a year or so until the second part, which was the wedding ceremony or banquet, after which they became fully man and wife. But in between the two, Jesus is found to be, or Mary is found to be with child, with Jesus, and as the pregnancy becomes more apparent, Joseph had to act. He had to make a decision. Now, Joseph is a, described as a tzaddik in the Hebrew, a righteous man. Now, that's not just a lovely description. That was actually a Jewish title and a very important Jewish title. In fact, Zechariah and Elizabeth in, in Luke's Christmas story bear that title as well. To be called a tzaddik in first century Judaism meant that you were a law-keeping Jew. You were upright and generally obedient to God's commands. So, what were God's commands about a situation like this? Well, the Hebrew Torah says a husband or a betrothed has to put her away. Either publicly, which could mean death by stoning. By the first century, it was probably more often ostracism, and, and you couldn't, uh, you, she wouldn't have been able to marry again. She would have been uh, looked down on in Jewish society. You could put her away publicly, or you could do it privately, handing her a certificate of divorce in front of two witnesses. Joseph's about to do the latter, the merciful one, 
when the angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream and calls Joseph to marry Mary. That had to be painful. First of all, the seeming betrayal. Not to mention the fact that if he married her, there was all, going to be all kinds of rumors flying about the Joseph, the over-eager betrothed one. He would have taken a major hit to his standing as a righteous man. And there might have even been an impact on his carpentry business. But in the midst of pain, he was obedient to God. So we can learn from Joseph that obedience to God must sometimes be worked out in painful circumstances. Maybe that means taking a moral stand at work or at school, perhaps at the risk of the loss of, a loss of friends or a loss of a job. For some people, being a Christian, just becoming a Christian means being disowned by their family or at least a strained relationship with their family. What pain might be keeping you from obedience today? third thing we can learn from Joseph is that truly obedient people can obey God in spite of fear. In spite of fear. Notice the angel didn't say, don't be too disgusted to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be too hurt to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be too angry to take Mary home as your wife. He said, don't be too afraid. Don't be too afraid. What was he fearful of? Perhaps Joseph recognized what was going on. And his fear started to be fear of God's holy presence. He might have been saying, this is getting too eerie for me. I want nothing to do with this. I'd just rather be a simple carpenter. We can feel this way when God gets too close. You know, we like our little Nazareth. We, we like our comfy homes. We like our predictable routines, our, our status quo. But when the holy God comes into your life, it can be awesome and fearful. When God says it's not going to be business as usual, I'm going to change your life, we may fear like Joseph. But God can take away your fears. Maybe God is laying his hands on your life right now. And fear is your first reaction. We can learn from Joseph that we can obey God in spite of fear. We can also learn that, we, that truly obedient people can obey God by staking everything on his word, despite the risks. Joseph risked his future. He gambled his life on what? On a dream. Do you remember your last dream? Would you stake your future on it? Dreams can be ambiguous. Some are prophetic. Some are meaningless. Some are true, some are false, some are just weird. It all depends on the interpretation. Joseph risked everything on the interpretation, his interpretation of this dream as God's word to him. Do you know anything like that? I happen to. I was in an economics class at Calvin College when something out of the blue gripped my heart. 
God was telling me to go into the pastoral ministry, something I'd been resisting for years. It wasn't a dream, but it was a word from God, and, and I had to interpret that experience, which I did with fear and trembling for the next days and weeks. But everything in the rest of my life came into place because I decided to stake my life on that moment. In what area do you need to risk and step out in faith on God's word, on God's dream for you? We can also see how Joseph demonstrates the consequences of obedience. During the Reagan presidency, the media labeled him the Teflon president because mistakes just didn't seem to stick to him. And sometimes we think we can have a Teflon obedience, that responding to God's word has no consequences. Joseph shows us that it can have very personal consequences. He couldn't consummate his marriage until the child was born. He had to drop his tool chest and flee to Bethlehem and then flee to Egypt. And we've kind of romanticized this whole scene on our Christmas cards to the point where we, we lose its cold, brutal impact. Joel Grigory updates the story. He writes, let's set it in the 21st century instead of the 1st century. Let's say that he's an older teenager engaged to a young woman who's suddenly pregnant. In his tenement apartment, he dreams that God tells him to marry her anyway. Just as he's beginning to deal with that, some government bureaucrat says everybody in the United States must go to their hometowns for a new census. They get in his old car and drive halfway across the country to his little hometown where he finds every hotel and motel is full. He puts his wife in a garage loaned to him by an old man. While they're living like illegal aliens in that garage, the baby is born. One day some street people come by singing songs and saying they've seen angels. Another day three ambassadors from the United Nations drive up in limousines and get out with bags full of Krugerrands to place at the baby's feet. Soon the young man hears that the governor is calling out the National Guard to kill all the babies in the county. Could he even keep his sanity or be obedient to God? That's what Joseph faced. And I kind of think that somewhere in the desert between Bethlehem and Egypt, sitting by a dying fire, Joseph must have wondered if he had really had a dream from God Or just ate some bad fish. I mean, some of us have a hard time buying the idea of consequences in the Christian life. Obedience to God took a commitment on Joseph's part. And it does on ours as well. In what areas are there consequences that you simply need to face? Finally, Joseph's story also demonstrates the influence of obedience. Here I'm thinking about Joseph as the adoptive father of Jesus. You know, we talked about this the last couple of weeks. Matthew began by giving us Jesus' family tree, strong in royalty, making him a legitimate heir of King David and thus able to be the Messiah. Only one problem. This wasn't actually the genealogy of Jesus. Yet, it's the family tree of Joseph whom Matthew takes great pains to show is not the father of Jesus. Surely, what's going on? Jesus isn't... Matthew wastes 17 verses telling us a bunch of names. 
of a family tree that isn't even Jesus? Well, this is about legal adoption. Notice Joseph is addressed as the son of David, a hint at what God is doing. In verses 18 through 25 of Matthew 1, this is about legal adoption, God's way of making Jesus a legal heir of David while still retaining his fatherhood. The enunciation of Joseph was meant to make him understand that he had to assume the legal paternity of Jesus, establishing Jesus as a legitimate descendant of David. And so the adoption of Jesus came with two steps, taking Mary home as his wife and then naming Jesus, which was an element of adoption in the first century. But I think there's more to that than Joseph's, in Joseph's fatherhood. We have this saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. When Jesus began his teaching ministry, he called God something few Jews ever had. Abba. Abba, Papa, Daddy. Did he do so for a reason? You know, Martin Luther said his own relationship with his father was so bad that he could never call God his father. But Jesus could. In fact, he could call him something even more intimate. Did Joseph's relationship with Jesus help him call God Abba? To give us that image for God. Make him comfortable with that. I think Joseph's obedience also influenced Jesus. As a grown son, Jesus had to make a similar decision. Joseph took up his cross when he married Mary. Jesus, when he said, not my will, but your will be done. I wonder if he prayed that partly because he'd grown up in a home seeing the consequences of a father who had prayed the same thing. With our obedience, we influence others. Who might our obedience influence today? One word best describes the often forgotten man of Christmas, Joseph, and that is obedience. Does that word characterize our lives? Do we obey God with immediacy, amid fear and pain, knowing the risks and consequences and influencing others while we obey? If we learn nothing else from Joseph, may we learn that our appropriate response to Christmas and the Christ child is obedience. May our obedience be our gift to Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, going all the way to the cross for us. We also thank you for for good models as well, like Joseph. Lord, we pray that we may be people of obedience, people whose lives are characterized by that word, that influence others through that word. Wherever you've placed us, whatever station in life, we pray, we pray that in this coming week we might take the next step in being more fully obedient to you and that this might be our Christmas gift to Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. I invite you to join me in singing of the Father's love begotten. Again, it comes from Lift Up Your Hearts, but it'll be on the screens number 78 and lift up your hearts. We're going to sing three verses, the first, second, and fifth verses.
1, 2, and 5 of All the Father's Love Begotten. Would you stand and sing with me?